Hey guys, welcome to the Filming with Josh podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Milligan, and this is episode number 35, How to Get Five Vigor... Man, that was a tongue twister. (laughs) This is episode 35. (sighs) Can I have a redo, guys? Can I have a redo? I'm going to do a redo. This is episode number 35, How to Get Five Figure Vigor... Golly, guys, this is really hard to say. I'm going to do this one more time. This is episode number 35. (laughs) I can't do it. I can't do it. How now, brown cow? This is episode number 35, how to get five-figure videos. Yes, did it. This is the Filming with Josh podcast, brought to you by Rustic River Media. Welcome to the videographer's home for tips, tricks, and how to make flicks. Oh man, after that intro, I should probably just not do the podcast today, but I'm going to. It has just been a really weird last couple of weeks with the crazy snowstorms and the super high electric bills that are like $17,000 that we Texans are trying to figure out what's going on with and and all kinds of other weird things that have happened that I won't go into today, but just been an odd last couple of weeks. But I'm sitting here today, and I've got my A7S III hooked up to the computer, and it is getting the new firmware update, uh, update version 2 that came out this morning with the S Cinetone picture profile. Yes! And I thought while that was getting done, I would knock out this podcast that I've had on my list to do for a while. Um, a real quick, about the S-Cinetone profile, I just want to mention why um, why I'm excited about it. And the reason is, when it comes to Sony, everybody always has thought of Sony over the years of, as being this company that puts a lot of great features into their cameras. They're very innovative. They... Um, come out with some really interesting things like electronic variable ND, or they were the first mirrorless cameras to have full frame 4K, just things like that. Um, But everyone's also kind of thought of Sony as the company that made cameras that didn't have the best looking color or the best uh, imagery. And that was always been kind of a knock against Sony over the years. Uh, I personally have never had a a big problem with Sony's color, but I will admit that there have been times where I would look at uh, the color science from other cameras like Airy or maybe even Canon or Red and felt, man, I wish my cameras just had a little bit more pleasing color like that. Well, when Sony came out with the Venice cinema camera uh, a few years back, they had completely redone the color science in that camera. And this is, for for those of you who don't know what the Venice is, it's a very high-end cinema camera. It's very expensive, um, and it's used for large-scale movies, like, for instance, Top Gun 2 um, was shot off of the Venice. It's a beautiful camera, and it's got a great color science to it. Sony put a lot of time and a lot of research and development into making that sensor for that camera and giving it the color science it gave it. Um, but when it started coming out with the FX6 and the FX9 and the A7S III and those those other cameras, um, those cameras inherited a lot of the Venice's color science. And the way that you would see that benefit is either by shooting in log and grading log, and you'll instantly notice how the log footage from the FX6 or the FX9, for instance, looks way better than the log footage of the older cameras like the FS7 and FS5. 
Um, so in the log footage, you would instantly see the improved color science. Even if you're shooting in the same log profile, like S-Log3, S-Gamma3.Cine, S-Gamma that's what I work in 90% of the time. Um, but even though it's the same log profile as my FS7, my FX6, for instance, the color was just so much more pleasing, so much more beautiful. And that was because the sensor itself read color differently um, and had a better color science. Well, then they also came out with this picture profile called S-Cinetone. And, and what S-Cinetone is, is that the color science is in the sensor, right? But what S-Cinetone does is it it's a ready-to-go image that is a picture profile that essentially taps into the color science, the improved color science of these cameras, and spits out a ready-to-go, already colored image that looks fantastic. It looks like graded Venice footage. So if you shot the Venice in RAW, or if you shot the Venice in Log, and you graded it with Sony's uh, technical LUTs that Sony developed, what you get out of S-Cinetone on these smaller cameras like these FX6, FX9, uh, FX3, and now A7S3 is, a, is an image that looks kind of like that. It's not going to have the same uh, dynamic range as log, but log is, has a higher dynamic range because it's not colored yet. Once you color log, that dynamic range shrinks, right? The dynamic range is really there for when, you're, um, when you have the, the raw footage to begin with. And then when you grade it, you're always going to lose dynamic range because highlights and shadows and things are going to be crunched, right? Um, and the cameras that have the higher dynamic range, when you grade them, still have highlight detail and shadow detail and things like that. The better cameras still retain a lot of that, whereas older cameras might lose a lot of that information when you color it. Well, what this Ascinitone profile does is it gives you an already colored image that still has, it doesn't have the same dynamic range as log, again, because it's already colored, but it still has a nice dynamic range to it and really good highlight roll off, which means when you go to highlights in a scene, it's not harsh when it gets there, it's real soft and subtle, then gradually gets to the bright highlights. And then it also has really great color in general. The skin tones look different. The color science reminds me a lot of Alexa mini footage. It looks beautiful. And I've, I've posted on the Filming with Josh Facebook group um, this morning uh, a link to an article that uh, wh where you can go and read about S-Cinetone and you can um, go download it for the A7S III. And on the, on the bottom of my post, you'll see this link to this one minute long uh, sh uh, clip about a dancer that was shot off of an FX9 using S-Cinetone. No color coloring was done in post. And you can see in that how beautiful it is. So to get the most out of your image, you're going to still want to shoot and log and grade it by hand. That's how you're going to get the biggest dynamic range. That's how you're going to be able to have the most flexibility in post. But if you want a ready-to-go image that still has good dynamic range, great color, great highlight roll-off, great skin tones, then S-Cinetone is a ready-to-go image that you don't have to color in post. You can still tweak it if you want, but it's ready to go right out of the box. That's what's so special about it. And the FX6 that I have already had S-Cinetone, but the A7S III did not. So most of the time I'm shooting in log and I'm grading by hand myself, but if I'm live streaming something or if I'm handing uh, raw footage off to a client, like if I'm, if I'm hired by a company that has an in-house video guy and they hire me to capture 
uh, footage to give to their in-house video guy. I don't know what his capabilities of coloring are. I'm going to talk to him about it, but most of the time they don't want log because most of the time they don't know how to grade it. And in cases like that, I need to give them ready to go already colored footage. And that's where Tone uh, comes into play because it's beautiful, already ready to go footage that you don't have to color. So again, I'm still going to use log for the vast majority of my work because I want to have the ability to choose how I want to use my dynamic range in post. I want the ability to grade the footage however I want it to look. But for jobs where I'm churning out footage that's already ready to go, S-Cinetone is 100% the way to do it. It looks great. And the reason why I'm so excited that the S3 now has it is that if I am shooting a live stream or if I with multi -cam multiple cameras, or if I am shooting a project where I'm going to hand the files off to someone already graded, I want my A cam and B cam to match. And so now my FX6 and A7S3 will match whether we're shooting in log or whether we're shooting in S-Cinetone. I can uh, be happy in knowing that my footage cuts together perfectly. And that's why this is such an exciting update to me. Um, so for anybody out there who doesn't know a lot about color grading or doesn't want to grade your footage, S-Cinetone's a phenomenal starting point because it looks beautiful right out of the gate. And it completely fixes any of the issues that people have talked about over the years of poor Sony color science. That was already fixed in the log footage, but now it's even fixed in their ready-to-go out-of-the-box footage. So you can't really, in my opinion, use Sony doesn't have nice colors as an excuse not to have Sony cameras anymore. Now it's different if you like the Canon look better or if you like the Airy look better, you can still go one of those routes, obviously. Um, however, Sony's color science is now very pleasing, whether you're shooting in log and grading by hand or whether you're shooting to S-Cinetone right out of the box. So that's why this is an exciting update. It's great to see the A7S 3 get it um, for all of those uh, like me that own A7S 3 uh, Now we have that as an option um, to cut with our A-cams, or if this is your A-cam, you have that as an option for an out-of-the-box uh, ready to go image. So it's an exciting update. These are exciting times. We've got some amazing cameras out there. The A1, for instance, is a really great hybrid camera. I still think the A7S 3 is a better video oriented camera. But if you are a hybrid shooter, the A1 is a freaking awesome camera. It's expensive, but it's great for what it is. I intend to get one one day. I want to replace my A7R 3 with it. Um, I think it would be a great upgrade to my R3. I just have to come up with $6,500 to get it. Plus, the memory cards are very expensive, 400 bucks a pop for 160 gigabyte um, CF Express Type A card. So <laughs> that's another factor. But I do want to get one of those down the road. These are exciting times. Sony's color science has improved a lot. Canon has some amazing cameras out there. If they could just fix their overheating and their mirrorless line, they'll be rocking and rolling. Panasonic has come a long way. It's just a good time to be in the video industry. Speaking of the video industry, I want to get into today's podcast, which is how to get five-figure videos. Earlier, I had a hard time saying that. I didn't realize when I wrote the title how much of a tongue twister it was going to be <laughs> for me to say. Um, but the whole point of today's podcast is just to talk about how you can get those bigger jobs. And I'm not talking about like, I'm not talking about like getting a five-figure, you know, giant, several-month-long project. Obviously, anything that's really long form like that is going to be expensive. But I'm talking about how do you get like a five-figure commercial? 
How do you get a five-figure promotional video? How do you get a five-figure project like that where you're making something that's 30 seconds, 60 seconds, 90 seconds, maybe a couple minutes long, and you're making five figures and up on it? How do you, how do you get there? That's what I want to talk about today. When I first got into video, I, I immediately had my foot in the outdoor hunting and fishing industries because I, I loved hunting and fishing and that's how I started getting into video. Um, and my first paid client was in the hunting world. But I also, from the very beginning, always had my foot in the commercial world. And I kind of always did both. I did outdoor projects and then I did commercial projects. And even when I went and did full-time outdoor television um, for a, a couple years, many years ago, I still had my foot in the door on the side doing commercial projects. And one of the things I learned from my experiences of being in the hunting and fishing outdoor video industry is that the way that they value video is different than people in the commercial, corporate, medical, industrial worlds value video. I learned that pretty quickly. And the reason why I say that I learned that is when you are, uh, when I worked full time, I had a salary, but when I left my full time position and I was freelancing, what you find in the outdoor world, if for any of those who are listening to this podcast who have done outdoor uh, videos, one second, I want to see if my camera's done. I think it might be done. I think my update is done. Nope, not even halfway. <laughs> one thing is if you, if you guys are in the hunting and fishing world and are listening to this podcast, you know as a freelancer that there is a ceiling of about how much you can make as a freelance shooter, right? That ceiling's about $500 a day. You can work your way up to that $500 day rate, and it's possible to make more than that per day, and I have made more than that per day in the hunting and fishing worlds, but it's very, very hard. Most outdoor TV shows want to pay $250 to $400 a day. Um, $500 is kind of usually the highest end for most people, and once you work your way up, you've got enough experience and equipment, and you kind of get yourself to that $500 day rate, there's really not a whole lot of room to grow from there. You kind of have capped out, right? And I found that early on in my career when I was in those industries. And so I started thinking, like, how do I find projects that can pay me more than that per day? I kept, even though I hit that point, I was still growing in my uh, in my skill set and my knowledge. I was getting more gear. And so I was already making that 500 a day, but I was still getting better and I was still getting more equipment and I wanted to get more money for my, my new experiences, my new skill sets and my bigger, better equipment. But the problem was, is the industry I was in just simply didn't pay more than that. That's just what they paid. And so I started to kind of look in other directions. And I, I learned from this experience many years ago that the number one way to get bigger jobs is to look for bigger markets. And I found out in my career early on that the outdoor world just was not a big market. And when I started shifting and pivoting and doing more and more commercial work, I started to find out where those bigger markets were. I found out, for instance, that it's not real estate. In real estate, it is possible to make good money per project, um, but you have to get really big projects, like huge commercial lots or even um, like large ranches. If you want to make anything close to five figures for a single commercial project, you can, but you have to have something like that. Um, so real estate's not typically, a, and kind of like outdoor world, it's not typically a, a place where you're going to find a five-figure uh, video, right? Um, and 
Then you have uh, a lot of people do weddings. I've never done a wedding before ever, but you're not typically going to find a five-figure video in the wedding world, right? Because most wedding videographers are making somewhere in the $2,500 to $5,000 range. Now, I know that that's not everyone, and I know of some people who make um, $10,000 and up per wedding video, and kudos to them. If you're doing that, congratulations. That's that's incredible. And that is out there. There are people out there who make a lot of money in that industry. Uh, I personally just am not in it, never have been. It doesn't really interest me. Um, but I do know that most people are not going to make that in the wedding world because there's the market's flooded. There's a hundred million wedding videographers out there, right? Same thing with the real estate world. Same thing with the hunting and fishing world, right? It's a big part of why um, it's hard to make that kind of money in those different markets. Another market you're not going to make it in is the mom and pop promotional videos for mom and pop small businesses, right? If you have a, a company down the street that's, um, you know, got a really cool story, like maybe it's a historic uh, leather shoe repair shop, for instance, you know, that might be a really cool video that you could make, but the chances of them paying you, you know, five figures for a project for a single video are pretty slim, right? And so those, those kind of markets you have to learn are not the markets you're going to make these kind of jobs in or kind of money in. And I learned that on uh, in my career pretty early. And I started kind of trying to figure out where can I get that kind of money from? Because that's what I wanted. I wanted to, I wanted to be a creative who could make good money being creative. I wanted to be able to make good money doing what I enjoy doing. I didn't want to work 16, 18 hour days in the outdoor world making $500 a day when I have $100,000 of equipment in my house. I didn't want that. I wanted to work eight to 10 hour days, maybe less and make really, really good money. But how do you do that? How do you do that? How do you get to a position where you can make five figure videos and it all starts with the market? And so I've covered the markets that you're not going to make that in. But I can talk to you now about the markets you can. Those markets are industrial, corporate, medical, university marketing, uh, large-scale events, live streaming. Those are examples of markets where you can get five-figure video projects. And so the first thing that you have to do if you want to make money doing a five-figure video is or, or, or bigger is to get into those markets. That's the the number one way to do it because that's those are the markets that have the deeper pockets and that expect to pay those kind of uh, those kind of budgets for those kind of projects, right? Um, I I have one client. I won't say the client's name, but I have one large scale uh, corp- corporate company, for instance, that my day rate with them is over three thousand dollars a day, and I'm not afraid to say that on a podcast because this is a learning podcast. And I, I try to share information to help everybody grow um, as videographers in this business. And so I, I, I'm, that's why in my podcast, if this is your first time ever listening to Filming with Josh podcast, one thing you'll learn about me is I'm not afraid to, to talk about uh, different things like contracts or day rates or anything like that. Because the whole point of this podcast, the whole point of the Filming with Josh Facebook group, the whole point of the blogs I write, things like that, are to talk to real people about real world stuff pertaining to the business of video production because I want to help people be uh, successful. So I have been able to make over $3,000 a day with one particular client just doing nothing but shooting footage. That's great money. And with clients like that, you can get a single video project and 
easily be over five figures for a small video project. But it all comes down to knowing the customer, knowing the market, right? I knew the market. I knew it was a big market with a big company, and I knew I could put a big price tag on my rates there, and that's how I'm able to get big five-figure jobs with a company like that. There are many other companies that I make money like that with, and it's because of the market. And I want to stress that really, um, really big because this this is something I want to say real quick, and that is that I just because I can make that much per day on a project doesn't mean that I'm necessarily better than anybody who doesn't make that kind of money on a project. I've known a lot of guys who charge $1,500 or $2,500 to do a wedding video or who do small um, uh, commercial real estate projects or small residential real estate projects or people in the uh, outdoor world that I came from that are way better shooters and way better editors than me. So I want to say that because I in no way, shape, or form think that I am necessarily better than anybody. I don't think that at all. I have a lot of experience. I have a lot of skills. I have a lot of great equipment. And I'm definitely worth what I charge. But that doesn't mean that I am better than anybody who charges less than me at all. It's just I learned how to get in these markets and I learned how to ask for big, big budgets. So the number one way to do this, guys, is to get into these bigger markets and ask for bigger prices. And people will pay you bigger prices so long as they feel like they're going to get um, the value out of it. And those those markets tend to value video more than the markets I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast that don't. So the number one way to make these bigger five-figure video projects is to go into those markets and ask for those kind of prices. Asking for those kind of prices is the number two thing you have to do. If you want to make uh, uh, five figures on a single video project, you need to know how to ask for big numbers. You have to have some hair on your chest and ask for it, right? That's the number one or number two thing you have to do. Because if you don't ask for it, you're not going to get it. In fact, in the bigger markets, if you ask for small numbers, they'll probably glaze right over you and think you don't know what you're doing. They're going to go for someone who is going to charge more because they're going to feel like they're going to get more um, because they're paying more, right? Sounds silly, but it's true. So the second thing you have to do is know how to ask for big numbers. So if someone sits you down and it's like, hey, I want a, a 60 to 90 second long video. How much is gonna is it gonna cost? You you have to be willing to ask for a high number. I gave out a quote the other day. It was a, a 60, it literally was a 60 to 90 second video. And uh, I quoted it at like it's just under $16,000. It's a lot of money, right? Like you might be thinking, whoa, what the heck? How can you make that kind of money on a 16 to 90 second video? Well, the reason is I asked for it. And the thing about it is, guys, is if you think about like, if you think about like Super Bowl ads, do you think a Super Bowl ad costs four figures or less? No, it costs like six figures and up. Those are huge projects that cost a lot of money because there's so much that goes into making them. So that has a lot to do with it. But a big part of it is just knowing your market and not being afraid to ask. And if they say no, then you guys can negotiate down. But if you say a low number to begin with, you're never going to negotiate up and you may not even get the opportunity to talk to them again because they may just glaze right over you and think that you're not you're not worth their time. So the second thing is is no going from knowing your market is is asking for bigger numbers. The third thing is you got to invest in some good gear. Um, that's that really is a big part of it. If you are going to show up to a, a bigger job and you want to make five figures and you show up with a photo camera, a mirrorless camera that shoots video, and you have um, 
a rinky-dink tripod or something like that, you're not going to look like a five-figure and up per video kind of guy. But if you show up with an FS7, an FX9, FX6, Canon C300 Mark II or Mark III, or maybe you even have a C300 um, Mark III, I mean, or if you show up with like a Panasonic Eva One or maybe even the Vericam LT, anything like that, um, you instantly are going to look more professional. If you have it on a big heavy-duty tripod, they're going to look at you and be like, okay, this guy's the real deal. And you can get jobs that way. In fact, I've gotten jobs just from having that gear. I'll be on I'll be on a job with that kind of equipment and someone will walk up to me and ask me what I'm doing. We get to talking and next thing you know, he's the marketing director for some company and boom, I get hired for some big five figure and up job. So that like that's another thing is you got to be willing to invest in quality gear because clients look at that and they perceive you as being bigger budget and perception is everything. I, I, I was doing a live stream the other day and a girl came up to me and she said, hey, I have a customer who might uh, be interested in this. My only fear is um, clearly this is a high budget thing and I'm just not sure if she's going to have the budget for it, but I'll, I'll at least want to find out what it is and just ask her. But see, that lady told me right then and there just by looking at my gear, she knew I was I was going to charge more money. And that, I mean, that perception, guys, that's, that's, that's worth a lot. So that, that perception is something you need to really think about when you're, you're buying into gear. You might be able to get a mirrorless camera to do everything a video camera or cinema camera can do. Um, but if your clients don't think that, then they may not even give you the job to begin with. So perception has a lot to do with it. Put a matte box in the front of your camera. You think I'm kidding? Put a matte box on there. It, it's great for like having filters, you know, and, and uh, controlling flare, but it also makes your camera look like a cinema camera. So just little things like that. Um, the other thing is, is you obviously, to get into those markets, you have to network your way there. So how do you network your way into these kind of markets? That's probably the question that someone would immediately want to follow up with this uh, podcast is how to, okay, Josh, you say get into these markets, the medical markets, industrial, corporate, those kind of markets. But how do I get into those markets to begin with? Well, the short answer is it takes time. (laughs) Um, The long answer is there's a variety of things you can do to get there. Obviously, the first one is just simple networking. You've got to meet people. You got to talk to people. You got to give people your elevator pitch, right? Um, but the other thing outside of networking is you have to be willing to go to to like trade shows and things like that. My friend Corey Faulkner um, taught me this. Corey is, uh, he lives over in Atlanta area, Atlanta, Georgia, just outside of Atlanta. And Corey told me one time how he got into the industrial market was he set up booths at industrial trade shows and he was the only videographer or only video company to set up at these industrial trade shows. And so these big industrial companies would be walking around looking at new and exciting technologies that had come out. Had come out. But then they walk by Corey's booth and he's the only video production company there. He's got some gear out. He's got um, some advertising around his booth that kind of said what he did. And he people would stop and talk to him. And Corey got a lot of industrial clients from that, big time clients that just like me, where he was getting five figure up projects for. So like that's a great way to do it. And I looked into a lot of that after Corey and I talked about that. And there's not only industrial trade shows, but there's medical, there's uh, large corporate trade shows for different types of corporations. There's um, all all kinds of stuff. Uh, There's uh, engineering, there's home building, not talking about real estate, but home building trade shows. And if you show up to those things, you 
and you buy a booth space, and I've looked into it, it's not very expensive. It might cost you $500 to $1,000, which sounds like a little bit of money, but when you look at the return you're going to make, I mean, you're going to pay for that 10 times over potentially with one job. So show up to those trade shows and have a booth and have some equipment out, some flashy gear. Again, perception is everything, so have some flashy gear out, and people will stop and talk to you and be like, man, wow, this is cool stuff. What do you do? And then you talk to them about your video work, and next thing you know, you're landing a large uh, industrial or medical or corporate client who is going to have the expectation of paying you five figures and up uh, right off the bat before you ever even sit down and talk about the job. So like that, that has a has a lot to do with it. And that is a great way to get in that world. Um, and then just obviously your classic stuff, you know, joining the YPN and things like that. But honestly, I like trade shows and uh, just going out and, and, and networking with people in general more than chambers and small business groups and stuff like that. Because typically I find that you don't find a lot of uh, marketing directors or CEOs of big companies at cha- local chambers. And the other thing is you got to be really confident, right? You have to be very, very confident in your, in your work. If I sit down with someone, I want them to think um, when they're done talking to me that they just met Steven Spielberg. And they didn't, not even close. But I want them to think that. You know, I want them to know that I travel around the world, that I've shot tons of different projects. I want them to know that I've got a lot of experience. I want them to know I do a lot of different stuff from live streaming to uh, commercials to movie theater pre-roll ads and things like that. I want them to know that because I want them to believe in me. So network Find somebody at a coffee shop that's talking about business and walk up and introduce yourself, you know. Call up your friends and say, hey, do you happen to know anybody in the industrial market? See if you can get your foot in the door there. Uh, And then go to trade shows and uh, set up booths and things like that. Those are really great ways to get into those markets. And then just it just takes time, right? The more people you meet, the more your name gets passed around and eventually you'll you'll get an opportunity, hopefully, to get your foot in the door with one of those bigger markets. And once you get in with one client in that market, it's a lot easier to get in with other clients in those markets. Um, so just, just do a lot of networking that way. And when you get there, be confident in yourself, get them to believe in you, say big numbers, put some hair on your chest, say big numbers, have good equipment to show to show off, and uh, and then just do a really good job, and that that's that's really how it's done. But if you want to get five figure videos, it all starts with the market. It all starts with the market. Don't think you're going to find that in the outdoor world. If you're listening to this podcast in the outdoor world, you're not. Don't think you're going to find it in real estate. You're not. You don't think you're going to find it in uh, in the wedding market. You're probably not, unless you're one of the one percent who does. If you want to find it, quit doing the mom and pop stuff. And focus on bigger markets because that's where you're going to find the five-figure videos. And you could do a 30-second spot for someone and make $10,000, $20,000 off of it if you know how to ask for it and if you can demonstrate your ability to give them a quality product. So this is not a long podcast. It was just something that was on my mind. It was something I wanted to, to talk about because um, – I've, I've been in that world where I wanted to make those kind of numbers, and uh, I just learned I had to transfer from one market to another to be able to do it. And that's the main reason I don't do a lot of outdoor projects anymore. I do some, but for the most part, I don't because I would rather, I would rather work eight hours or 10 hours a day and make triple the money or more than I would working 16, 18-hour days to make what to me ends up being pennies on the dollar for the amount of equipment I have and insurance and things like that. Because at the end of the day, guys, like if you want to make a living at this, you can make a living 
um, and and get by in almost any of any video market. But if you want to live comfortably and not have to live paycheck to paycheck, networking your way into these bigger markets and asking for higher budget jobs is the way to do it. Thanks, guys, for listening to today's podcast. I'm excited to say that during this podcast, my A7S III did finish its Cinetone update, so I'm going to hop off the podcast now and see if it looks like my FX6's Cinetone. Um, if you want to find out if it does, join the Filming with Josh Facebook group. Go to Facebook and type in Filming with Josh and ask to join the group today, and I'll be sure to approve you. The Filming with Josh Facebook group group is your home for tips, tricks, and how to make flicks. And if you go to the group, you will find information about Cinetone, about color grading, about the video business itself. Join our community, and I look forward to seeing you there. Thanks, guys. Take care. To learn more about Rustic River Media, visit us online at rusticriver.media. Thanks for listening to the Filming with Josh podcast. Catch every episode by hitting subscribe today. Mm-hmm.